This is Sam from Spokane. I just finished listening to Jesse Dollimore as a guest on two other podcasts, once again illustrating the fact that Britney is indeed the best part of I Doubt It with Britney Page and some guy named Dollimore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. One of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. Sitting across from me, my lovely co-host, who couldn't be more excited right now, Brittany Page, yawning as she is. Sorry, I had to finish a yawn. We're back. That was a a hell of a yawn, Brittany Page. It was a pretty strong yawn. <laughs> I will I will say that. We are back. Mm-hmm. You are correct. We had a lot of problems. Holy shit. Lots of problems. Yeah. We will we'll save you the rigmarole of the names of the establishments, which I really want to name, but we're not going to. However, let me just give you a brief synopsis overview of what's happened over the course of the last few days and why we were gone last Thursday. I got a panicked call from the lovely and talented Brittany Page that she was, well, I think, I think the audience knows, Brittany, that we have, we have classified you as someone who doesn't work well under pressure. I don't. You are, and I don't mean like the pressure of school and life. I mean like an emergency, think quick on your feet situation. Mm-hmm. You kind of melt down. Yes. And I received a panicked phone call mm-hmm. from Brittany Page indicating that she was broken down in the middle of an intersection. Yes. A busy intersection mm-hmm. and needed assistance Right away. Right. I was broken down in an intersection coming out of South Coast Plaza. If you don't know what South Coast Plaza is, (laughs) it is a mall, a giant mall located here in Costa Mesa, California. And so I broke down at this intersection and I was the first car in line at the lights. My car just dies. I mean, the power, it won't go terrible lights are flashing all the lights that have ever been on a vehicle are flashing (laughs) lights you weren't even sure were there yeah were illuminated all the bad things that could happen were happening and people were just speeding around me i mean going full speed like pissed off honking that's the point i wanted to to really focus on is the, the the lack of not even friendliness but lack of concern at all They were angry. That I was inconveniencing them. You were in their way with your broken down car. Yeah, I'm so sorry that my vehicle broke down and now you have to spend a couple extra seconds (laughs) merging out of the lane to go around me. I'm going to be here for probably an hour. Right. So thanks. So I, being the level-headed individual that I am, I said, well, get on the phone with the insurance company. Uh, roadside assistance and get them dispatched right away because it's probably going to take some time. Mm -hmm. Then I got over there as quickly as possible to kind of manage the stress for Brittany. (laughs) Well, the thing is, it was also difficult because I couldn't go anywhere. So I'm sitting there for probably 45 minutes. Only one person asks me if I need help. Right. And... There's nowhere I can go. Even when you get there, there's nowhere that the car could be pushed out of the way. I'm stuck where I am until the tow truck guy comes. Right. Which he eventually does. Well, let's let's get let's let's abbreviate this. This could take an an episode unto itself. So we have it towed because I suspect the problem is a problem we had in the past with this particular vehicle. The the alternator needed to be replaced, so it was replaced. Then the alternator that was put into the car 
failed also, and then it was covered under warranty and was replaced. And then again, it was indeed the alternator, which was covered under warranty, and it was replaced. Okay, well, this seems like things that don't matter to the story that are making it take long. (laughs) Maybe so. Okay. So, So anyway... We drop it off at that place. No, you're skipping the best part of the story, which is the tow truck driver. How is that the best part? I'm trying to get to the part where two hours after having paid for the work that was done. No, 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 no. All right. The first. Master storyteller, everybody. You're skipping the first tow truck driver. Brittany Page. So I get in his tow truck and he has two Bibles seat belted in to his truck. Okay, that is worth talking about. They and were they were absolutely seat belted in. The, he had the seat belt over them both, buckled in. They were buckled in safe. So right, and his hundred fifty dollars sunglasses were just left to to bounce around in the cab. Yeah. So but I the picked, Bibles they were secured. So I picked up his Bibles and his sunglasses, and I held them in my lap. And we asked him about the Bibles, and you know he said that one was the Bible, the other was a book explaining the Bible more in depth <laughs> and that, um, he, you know, he, he needs to get a third one because there's so much to learn and so much to know, blah, blah, blah. He ends up telling us, you know, that, uh, Jesus saved his life, that four years ago he was a drug addict and alcoholic and now he teaches the Sunday school kids. And so he, he reads anytime he can on his break in between jobs because he needs to teach the Sunday school kids. And, we're just sitting in the car. I'm holding these Bibles, feeling like I'm going to light, like just incinerate at any moment. Um, <laughs> but he was the nicest, sweetest guy. And it was such a refreshing end to the day, I guess, that had just been this hellish day where this super nice tow truck driver with his Bibles is just making my day after it was horrible. It was awesome. Very mild witnessing. It wasn't direct. It was just... You know, this little light of mine. Yeah. I'm I'm going to let it shine. And he did. And he did, for sure. So we drop off the vehicle. We pick it up the next day, having been fixed ostensibly. And then drive to get some items from the Trader Joe's, which is where we go all the time. And we turn the car off to do something, get back in the car and try to start it. And no. Mm-hmm. No go. Dead. So then we had to call the place, which redirected us to another number to dial to find a fucking tow truck to have them come and pick us up again. Waited an hour again. Which led us to leave it there again overnight and then pick it up the next day. Yes. So this is why we probably just bored the shit out of everybody. <laughs> this is why we missed several debate episodes. And we missed uh, our last numbered episode. This this would have been two, 201 on Thursday, but it was not because all of the fiasco mm-hmm. we were dealing with. Mm-hmm. So we're back yes. with a little announcement. You know, in the course of taking all this time off, it's kind of, uh, it really led me to to really reflect and realize that I think I want to take like six months off and just a hiatus <laughs> from the from the show. Why are you you're blowing the whole joke? Sorry, because that's just not going to happen. <laughs> no, of course not. We're not leaving you. Goddamn. But we did think about the debate episodes. Oh, yeah, we have rethought that. And the fact that we've done close to 20 separate debate episodes between the Democrats and the Republicans, and nothing really changes. It's all kind of the same. So we're going to stop doing them every single one. Maybe we'll do every other one. Maybe we'll combine them each time. We're going to figure some some other method because right now it's just, it doesn't seem like anybody's really benefiting from the same old shit every single time. Well, they also just had four debates total within a span of like two weeks. Nothing new is being said. Right. Donald Trump's talking about his dick. I mean, we we get it. You <laughs> know what I mean? You're in rare form today. We we get it. <laughs> we know what's going on. We hear it all the time. Right. Whatever. All right. Well, let, how about we just get to some follow-up and then move on with the regular show, episode 200. That sounds One. like a great plan. All right. 
Well, in previous episodes, we have talked about a young lady who is no longer with us. She passed away um, named Brittany Maynard. She had brain cancer, very, very destructive, fast-moving brain cancer. And she took her life prior to the brain cancer running its course and killing her. She made the choice to do so. And it sparked a giant debate nationwide, maybe worldwide. And today, I am proud to say, I'm happy to say, that the state of California, as of June 9th, will be among only a handful of states in the United States that allows for right-to-die action of an individual. California Governor Jerry Brown signed landmark legislation last October that would allow terminally ill people to request life-ending medication from their physicians. But no one knew when the law would take effect because of the unusual way in which the law was passed in a legislative extraordinary session called by Brown. The bill could not go into effect until 90 days after the session adjourned. The session closed Thursday, which means the End of Life Option Act will go into effect June 9th. And this really is good news. Wonderful news for people who are living in extraordinary amounts of pain. This isn't a, yeah, I've kind of given up on life and I want to commit suicide. That's not what this is about. But that is what the Christian, extreme Christian right weirdo sect in our country would have you believe. They would have you believe that it is just willy-nilly, anybody who's just, eh, not really feeling it today. I think I'll commit suicide. That's not what this is about. I would encourage everybody out there who has not yet seen How to Die in Oregon. It is a documentary that follows several people, but one in particular. And it is on Netflix, and it covers this entire issue. And it is, look, I, I think the audience knows well, I'm a crier. I'm a, an easy cry. But this left me a blubbering mess on the couch while watching it. It is a beautiful, beautiful, well-done film. As written, the law requires two doctors to agree before prescribing the drugs that a patient has six months or less to live. Patients must be able to swallow the medication themselves and must affirm in writing 48 hours before taking the medication that they will do so. California is the fifth state to permit this option at the end of life. It joins Vermont, Oregon, Washington, and Montana. Another good movie is You Don't Know Jack on HBO, which is um, Al Pacino playing Jack Kevorkian. Awesome. And even if you, Jack Kevorkian passed away uh, a couple years ago, but if you, you know, YouTube Jack Kevorkian, Anderson Cooper, there was a really great interview that Jack Kevorkian did with him before he passed. I think it was when he was promoting the movie, You Don't Know Jack. Mm -hmm. Um, But You Don't Know Jack on HBO, great movie about Jack Kevorkian. He is an amazing human being. Right. And if you do watch it, we'd love to hear what you think about it. Any of the movies we just talked about. For sure. Uh, And really, I would really encourage you to do so. They are well done, not just entertaining, but also super, super informational. I wanted to say something about Jack Kevorkian. And when I say that the Christian right really does try to put this argument in the light of people who just want to kill themselves Mm -hmm. and have no respect for the sanctity of life. Right. And I say that not from some uninformed perspective. I say that because I used to be one of those Christians, especially in the case of Jack Kevorkian, because when I was a kid, He was making all the headlines in Michigan at the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought he was a terrible, evil man who hated these people and was trying to murder people systemically. Yikes. I mean, goddamn, how how backwards is that train of thought? And it's very common among fundy Christians. Well, what's weird is if you look at these laws... Um, two doctors have to agree that the patient has six months or less to live right. before getting the drugs. Two doctors have to agree that that's the, that you're that you're going to die. Right. They have to agree. So it's not just 
oh, you're feeling down? Okay, get two doctors to agree and you can get this medication. No, that's not how this works. This is people who have been diagnosed with terrible illnesses that are going to cause them to die a very slow, very painful death. And that's not what they want. Yeah. So, and if chronic, if, terminal, painful illnesses. But if someone does want to die and and live their life, um, you know, with this illness that they have, they have that option too. No one's that's being forced to take the medication. It. So, well, and in the case of Oregon, I don't know the the specifics of the California law, but in the case of Oregon, you have to, along the way, you 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 get repeatedly asked, "Are you sure? Do you affirm? Are you in agreement with this?" Even the moment you're taking the medication, you have to be in your right mind. You have to be in total and complete agreeance. Right, because just because you've made this decision doesn't mean you can't back out. Exactly. Until you take it. That's right. Yeah. So uh, check those out. Again, uh, You Don't Know Jack on HBO starring Al Pacino and How to Die in Oregon, which is on Netflix, I think, still which is more of a documentary style. So the good news, good news all the way around. So other good news, I guess, on the Britney Page front, Harvard just came out and revealed that a study which had undercut psychology research, that uh, they got it wrong. Right, the replicability problem. Replicability. 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 Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. God damn, I'm dumb. It was that it was the landmark study where they said that, you know, more than half of these psychology studies couldn't be replicated. And this study made the field kind of spin out into a frenzy of holy s, we have a replication crisis. What's going on in our field? These studies aren't being replicated. Oh my god. Well, cuz that's a problem. Right. If if, if a scholar, a research team, rele- releases their research and no other people are able to replicate it, that means something hanky's going on. According to two Harvard professors and their collaborators, a widely reported study released last year that said more than half of all psychology studies cannot be replicated is itself wrong. In an attempt to determine the replicability of psychological the, science... The what? Replicability... <laughs> Am I saying it wrong? No, you're saying it right. I just, I can't say replicability. Oh, there we go. A consortium, maybe, <laughs> of 270 scientists known as the Open Science Collaboration tried to reproduce the results of 100 published studies. Of 100 <laughs> published studies. More than half of them failed, creating sensational headlines worldwide about the replication crisis in psychology. I already told you all that. But an in-depth examination of the data by Daniel Gilbert, the Edgar Pierce Professor of Psychology at Harvard, Gary King, the Albert J. Weatherhead University Professor at Harvard, (laughs) Stephen Pettigrew, another great thing at Harvard, um... You get it, all these Why people. Why can't they just be this dude at Harvard? Why do they have to have another dude's name after their name? They worked hard to get these special recognition. They worked hard to get this special recognition, and right. I'm just yeah. brushing over it's, it. Uh, it's Jesse Dollimore, the Brittany Page blah, blah, blah scholar. Just it's They're there. They're at Harvard. We, you know, They're smart guys. Okay, so all these God geniuses damn. at Harvard have revealed that the open science collaboration made some serious mistakes that make its pessimistic conclusion completely unwarranted. What a bunch of dicks. The methods of many of the replication studies turned out to be remarkably different from the originals. And according to the four Harvard researchers, these infidelities had two important consequences. That's very harsh language. First, the methods introduced statistical error into the data, which led the OSC to significantly underestimate how many of their replications should have failed by chance alone. When this error is taken into account, the number of failures in their data is no greater than one would expect if all 100 of the original findings had been true. Hmm. Second, the Harvard geniuses discovered that the low-fidelity <laughs> studies were four times more likely to fail than were the high-fidelity studies, suggesting that when replicators strayed from the original methods of conducting research, they caused their own studies to fail. Hmm. Now, 
This is shocking. Which is shocking? That some eggheads got it wrong? Okay, well, no. Who they're are trying to, who see, seemingly were trying to find a problem, and then they, confirmation bias, they, oh, the problem we were looking for does exist. Uh, it's just dicks. Well, spoil sports. Okay, I think both, what's the word I use? Shocking? Let's say yes. Okay, both of these, both of the situations are shocking. So the first thing that came out with the replication crisis, shocking. Now this is saying, no, you guys made many statistical errors. You you did your science wrong. Right. And that's not good. Yeah. Because it got a ton of press and right. it, it welcomed a ton of scrutiny from people who don't even know anything about psychology and it kind of reinforced this idea of psychology as a pseudoscience. Right. Um, Which is a problem in and of itself. Yes. So something interesting they said is readers surely assumed that if a group of scientists did 100 replications, then they must have used the same methods to study the same populations. In this case, that assumption would be quite wrong. Replications always vary from originals in minor ways, of course. But if you read the reports carefully, as we did the Harvard geniuses, you discover <laughs> that many of the replication studies differed in truly astounding ways, ways that make it hard to understand how they could even be called replications. Now, this is a problem. So yeah, I'm, I'll post this, of course, to the Facebook page, to the Twitter page. It's really long. You can read through all of it. Um, but it's interesting that now people are going through this study and saying, well, let's investigate this study. Yeah. Let's see if we can replicate this right all right if you would like to sound off about this or anything else we've talked about today or in the past 657-464-7609 you can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com and we would love to hear from you Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like yourself by way of Patreon. You can contribute per episode, as much or as little as you'd like, comforted by the knowledge that you're within your budget and helping move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you too would like to become a supporter, please visit patreon.com slash I Doubt It with Dollamore. We would like to thank longtime listener of the show, Cheyenne. Thank you. Our latest, as the lady says, Patreon mm. subscribers. Yes. Uh, uh, supporters. Yes. Not, not subscribers. Mm -hmm. Everyone who listens is a subscriber, I would hope. Otherwise, they're streaming it through the goddamn website. And what a pain in the ass that is. You need to be subscribed. To the show. Yes, that also helps our numbers. <laughs> so, um, like I said, we are going to revamp how we do the bonus content relative to debates. However, in slowing down the multitude of debate episodes that we do, it will give us time and energy to devote to other types of bonus content outside of numbered episodes like the the interview we did with Justin Scott. Uh, I want to get him back on the show and talk about his time. He went to CPAC and as with his Atheist Voter t-shirt, he inter he mingled with all kinds of different people and had conversations. So I want to get him back on the show and have a talk with him about that. If there's someone you'd like us to talk to, if there's something you'd like us to do outside of numbered content in the form of bonus content, let us know. We really, what really want to do, do, do some things. CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Conference. Just for those of you who don't know. All right, fact checker Brittany Page. All right, what do you say? Shall we move on? Yes. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So rather then start with talking about the the dumbass Donald Trump the the dumpster fire that is Donald Trump the walking talking abortion with a hairpiece okay Donald Trump let's talk about 
a very positive, very noteworthy Supreme Court ruling involving the overturning of a same-sex couple being able to adopt ruling in Shocker, Alabama. The Supreme Court on Monday summarily reversed an Alabama Supreme Court decision that had refused to recognize a same-sex parent adoption from another state. The case concerns a former same-sex couple identified in court documents as VL and EL, who were raising three children together in Alabama after... where? Alabama. um, After using donor insemination. VL, the non-biological mother, adopted the couple's children in Georgia in 2007 with EL's consent. When the couple broke up, EL stopped VL from visiting the children and argued that Georgia adoption was invalid. The Alabama Supreme Court voided the adoption, saying it should not have been granted. VL sued, arguing that under the Constitution's full faith and credit clause, states are required to respect court judgments issued in other states. That is right. The Supreme Court agreed with the non-biological mother and reversed the Alabama Supreme Court decision that had invalidated the Georgia adoption decree of her children. Good for them. Moving once again, little by little, in the right direction, into the warm, open arms of modernity. Now, would this have happened if Mr. Scalia had been... Well, I don't know what the decision was. Did you already say that it was a... That it was a four... Was it a a, a, a five-three decision? Or a four... It would have had to have been a five-three decision. At the very least. This article is horrific and (laughs) is not providing me with an answer. Well, to be at least a majority opinion right now, you need to be a 5-3 because a 4-4 is a tie. And that would go back to the state and would just reinforce the lower court ruling. That's how that works. So it must have been at least 5-3, which is good. See? The system isn't breaking down. Mm-hmm. Shocking. In the absence of Antonin Scalia. Mm-hmm. It isn't a constitutional crisis like so many are trying to make it. Who would have thought? Right. Well, that's not the point of this entire story. This really is good news that we have a, a verdict from the Supreme Court that is doing the right fucking thing. In a, here's a preemptive story that very well will end up before the Supreme Court. In Missouri, the Senate, the State Senate of Missouri, just approved a bill protecting the foes of same-sex marriage. A bill to give some of the nation's broadest legal protections to opponents of same-sex marriage took a crucial step forward in Missouri on Wednesday, winning approval in the State Senate after Republicans used a rare procedural move to break a 39-hour filibuster by Democrats. 39 hours. Wow. Since the Supreme Court's ruling in June legalizing gay marriage, legislators in many states have introduced bills that they say would protect religious freedom and that opponents say would permit discrimination. In some respects, the Missouri bill would go beyond any law now in place, prompting challenges that could keep the issue before the court for years. The bill, a proposed amendment to Wait, this... where where's this bill? Missouri. The bill, a proposed amendment to the state constitution, would shield religious groups and businesses from having to facilitate same-sex weddings. Opponents contended that the bill was probably unconstitutional and that the wording could lead to much broader consequences, like denying social services, education, employment, or housing to married gay people. Democrats began a filibuster on Monday, but with Republicans holding an overwhelming Senate majority, it was clear that opponents could only delay the bill. The General Assembly allows lawmakers to cut off a debate by submitting a letter signed by a simple majority of the members. The rule is often invoked in the House, but rarely in the Senate, and obviously it happened, and that's what cut the filibuster. Right. Mm-hmm. Here, There is one part of this bill that I wouldn't object to, and that is the... I don't believe the government should get involved with telling religious groups like a pastor of a church or a certain denomination that they must marry gay couples. 
that that is crossing the line as far as I'm concerned, and it would violate the Constitution of the government getting involved in religion. However, just because you claim to be a Christian and you own your cupcake store or you own your flower store, you're not a religious institution. You're someone who is offering a service to the public, therefore public accommodation must be made. So, yes, the Missouri bill states that clergy members and religious groups would not have to facilitate gay weddings and celebrations, a widely agreed-upon principle, but it also would give businesses like caterers and florists the right to refuse services. Yeah, which is complete and utter a bullshit. And the, <laughs> the passage of the bill would shield religious groups from being penalized for acting, quote, in accordance with, here it is, a sincerely held religious yeah, belief. Deeply held religious belief. About right, same-sex right. marriage. Ugh. Same bullshit. Really, we're just in a fucking holding pattern right now until we can get these cases to the Supreme Court for them to rule in the correct way. In 40 years, we're going to look back on this, and we will be collectively embarrassed that this was even a question just like clear thinking individuals are embarrassed about the 1960s and before you know it's the same kind of prejudice and hate and fear that we're facing Ugh. all right well maybe this is where i should have played in the dollamocracy theme because Tuesday, it's going to be another big, super duper Tuesday. <laughs> Are they all just super Tuesdays? Is that how this works? This is the first year that I ever remember every Tuesday with, with several states being a super Tuesday. Okay, because it's CNN. Been, yeah, there's always one super Tuesday. CNN is calling all of them super Tuesday. Yeah, it's dumb. Well, this Tuesday, Florida, Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina, I think, those are going to be states that are going to be going to the polls to pick their nominee for president of the United States in their respective party. So it is going to be a big, big day, especially right now for the Republicans. Uh, Florida and Ohio are winner-take-all states. So if Marco Rubio is somehow, not likely, but if he is somehow able to stave off Donald Trump, um, he will win all of the delegates from Florida. And in the same in the same tone, John Kasich, if he is able to, and it's it's looking plausible that he's going to hold off Donald Trump in in Ohio, he will win all of the delegates, leaving Donald Trump with zero. So I forgot to um, include this in the rundown, but I wanted to talk about Michigan really quick. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, because there was a lot of conspiratorial posts that I was seeing um, kind of implicating Nate Silver in some sort of conspiracy theory to say that Bernie couldn't win Michigan. Right. Um, so 538 does primary forecasts. They forecast who will win. What is that based on? That is based on aggregate polling data. Well, so let's, let's first say Bernie Sanders won Michigan. <laughs> yes, he won Michigan. And he was given a 1%. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, Hillary Clinton was given a 99% chance of winning Michigan. And she lost. Yes. So Nate Silver was called to the carpet on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else as though he was complicit and colluding with polling agencies to try to give Hillary a leg up. Well, I don't know if it's that, or people just don't know how the the forecasting works. Oh, maybe they think he is a pollster. Yes, and he was conducting bad polls when actually, in yes. actuality, all he does is interpret the data from all of the different polls. Exactly. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so, so he really was getting a bad rap. Uh, yes, and it, it really it, it frustrated me because I saw this meme going around. Uh, the not any of my business meme or whatever. Uh, Nate Silver gave him less than 1% chance of winning, but that's not any of my business. Yeah, take it up with the pollsters, okay? Right. Um, and, and 538 did a podcast on this, an emergency elections podcast. <laughs> and they... An emergency, huh? Y yes. Kind of like you in the in the intersection with, with a car. Exactly. 
less panicked though. And Carl Bialik at 538 wrote an article about what went wrong. So just a quick overview, really quick, just hitting these bullet points. Pollsters underestimated youth turnout. Pollsters underestimated Sanders' dominance among young voters. Pollsters underestimated the number of independent voters who would participate in the primary. Pollsters underestimated Sanders' support among black voters. Which, which, there was an uptick in support for Bernie Sanders among African-American voters in Michigan. They haven't seen that before until Michigan. So maybe, hopefully for him, that is a, something's turning around nationwide. Well, and just for an example, I guess I can elaborate on this point. Sanders had won less than 20% of black voters in most states with large black populations. And there were some pollsters that both, there were two pollsters that both showed Sanders winning less than 20% of the black vote in Michigan. Instead, he won 28%. Yeah. So many of these things happened where the pollsters had this and then something different happened. Uh, pollsters missed a late break to Sanders by not polling after Sunday. They didn't poll after Sunday, after the town hall. Um, some Clinton supporters chose to support a Republican in the primary. Pollsters had little recent history to work with. And then, of course, this is an outlier, a perfectly rotten combination of bad luck and bad timing. So these are just possible things that... Um, could have messed up the Michigan polling. Right. But even if it is the fault of the pollsters, which it is, it isn't it isn't on Nate Silver from 538.com. It's not his problem that their data was bad. All he does is interpret data. He doesn't poll anybody. 538.com isn't calling homes and polling people. All they do is receive the raw polling data from these other polling organizations like Gallup like Monmouth, like Rasmussen, and then he interprets it through his super fast genius giant brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and his staff of people with giant brains. Right, right, right. So thank you for interjecting that. That was good. So before we move on, I, I do want to say this. If you are a listener in Florida or Ohio, Illinois, Missouri, North Carolina. Oh, yes. Get... Are you making fun of me right now? No, I'm really oh. excited, and I'm bummed we haven't done this. Right. Yeah, get out there. Get out there and vote. Go to your primary. Find out where your primary polling place is and go vote. If you lean conservative, see, this is the, this is the problem I'm having right now. I do lean conservative, but this is a year that I might vote Democrat, so I'm not sure. However... Because Donald Trump is still in play, and because, well, and if he's still in play when it comes around to California, I'm likely going to vote in the Republican primary to to try to ensure that he does not get any, or get fewer delegates in California. Delegates, not delegates. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so get out there. Don't, you know, it doesn't matter if your wife votes opposite you. It doesn't matter if, oh, it's going to be Hillary anyway. I don't want to hear that. Go out and goddamn vote. And. It is important. And take a picture of yourself with your little sticker. Yeah, I want fucking proof. And put it on the wall. <laughs> um, if you live that, in. That's actually an awesome idea. I'd love that movement to start. If you vote, take a picture with your, you and your I voted sticker. Tweet it. Tweet it and put it on the, put it on the, 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 the show's Facebook page. Uh-huh. I got it. I got wow. it. I got it. So Donald Trump has an 89% chance of winning Florida. So if you live in Florida. It's very important to go out and vote for Marco Rubio. Even if you fucking <laughs> hate Marco Rubio. Even if you hate Marco Rubio. Little Marco. It is important to, to cock block Donald Trump. <laughs> How important, Brittany, is it to cockblock Donald Trump it in Florida? It is tremendously important. Even if you're going to vote for Bernie Sanders or Hillary, go vote for Marco Rubio in the pri- It doesn't obligate you to vote for him in in the general election because there's no chance he's going to be the nominee. But we need to stop the juggernaut that is Donald Trump. Right, because if he gets all those delegates from Florida, mm. yeah. Mm. Not good. Not good. All right, let's move on. In previous episodes, I have talked about this strategy 
of the Hillary Clinton campaign, which is interrupt, 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 and then force your male opponent to shout you down, making him look like a sexist. And it wasn't until this last debate that it came to pass that Bernie Sanders finally, after being talked over for eight debates or so, he finally said something. And what happened, Brittany? He was accused of being sexist. He was absolutely accused of being a sexist and talking out, telling her to shut up. And boy, did the Clinton campaign jump all over that one and say, yes, we do believe he was behaving out of line. That's because that is what she wanted to happen. Here is the exchange we're talking about. The money that ended up saving the auto industry. I think that is a pretty big difference. Well, yeah, that's it. If you are talking about the Wall Street bailout, where some of your friends destroyed this economy, you know, excuse me, I'm talking. Let him spawn. If you're going to talk, tell the whole story, uh, Senator. Let me tell my story, you tell yours. I will. Your story is for voting for every disastrous trade agreement and voting for corporate America. Did I vote against the Wall Street bailout? When billionaires on Wall Street destroyed this economy, they went to Congress and they said, oh, please, we'll be good boys, bail us out. You know what I said? I said, let the billionaires themselves bail out Wall Street. Shouldn't be the middle class of this country. Okay. Wait a minute. Wait, can I finish? You'll have your turn. All right, but ultimately... Well, ultimately, what happened is like Britney said, the Hillary Clinton camp came out in support of this narrative that he was being sexist by wanting the time that was owed him in the debate. There are rules in place before the fucking debate starts. How dare he want his talking And Bernie Sanders just wanted the time that was allotted to him in the course of responding to her shrill, shrieking bullshit that she had just said. We don't always get what we want. The money that ended up saving the auto industry. She really did have a cold. She really, at the end of the debate, at the end of the debate, she finished her closing statement and then just like let this giant cough out. It was pretty scary. Uh, I thought scary. you were going to say fart. No. That would have been great. Mm. Well, anyway, here, here's the deal. And I know a lot of you are thinking that I'm just being conspiratorial or maybe months ago when I said this, that I was just being conspiratorial about Hillary Clinton, that there's no way she was really trying to set him up to make this happen. Here, remember, she's saddled up right now real, real cozy-like to Barack Obama. Here is a clip, as my voice goes out, here... Here is a clip from 2008, a debate with Barack Obama during the Democratic primary where she does the same exact thing to then-candidate Obama. Now, let's talk about Ronald Reagan. What you just repeated here today is patent. Wait, no, Obama, Hillary, Barack, you just spoke I did spoke, not, I did you not say anything about minutes. Ronald Reagan. You said two you do, things. You, you talked spoke, about admiring Hillary, Ronald Reagan, sorry, and you talked about you, you the ideas spoke, of the Senator, Republicans. I didn't talk about Hillary, Ronald Reagan. We just had the tape. You just said that I complimented the Republican ideas. So this is part and parcel with a strategy that's been employed by the Clinton campaign to try to get the male the taller, more physically imposing candidate to to talk over her, to shout her down in order to be heard. I I don't know, maybe a little horn toot needs to be done. But Okay, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves because this is two examples of it, but I do agree that there seems to be a trend especially because these two instances that you've played are not the only instances where this happens here's the other thing and this is not as much about that particular strategy of the shouting down this has to do with her being so cozy hugging as tightly as she can on to barack obama Mm -hmm. shame on you barack obama this is a clip that was taken from a like a minute and a half just diatribe about how terrible Barack Obama was and how his campaign strategy was just 
immoral and unethical. Mm-hmm. And then at the end... Shame on you, Barack Obama. So I'm going to start using this little drop every time we talk about Hillary Clinton acting like she is has never disagreed with Barack Obama. Because she's always trying to paint herself or paint Bernie Sanders as in stark opposition to the president. Mm-hmm. And she is always agreed with him because he's a wonderful messiah of a political figure and you bernie sanders you disagree with him so uh, be waiting for that all right now the moment you've all been waiting for you're like oh my god we're all we're we're nearing 50 minutes in we are well we're getting there okay and uh, no Donald Trump. No Donald Trump has been talked about at all. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome. However, about to be ruined. About to be ruined. I keep repeating everything you say. I know. Why are you doing that? Why am I doing that? I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> John Kasich. Maybe it's because he is facing Donald Trump this Tuesday. This super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. And he needed to come out and talk about. The nuttiness that is going on right now at Donald Trump rallies. It's insane. The violence, the hatred, the Zieg Heils and the Nazi salutes and the go to fucking Auschwitz. That someone said that. Insanity that's going on right now. Someone literally said that. So John Kasich, the current governor of Ohio, the rational thinking gentleman, the, the man who has long been... The most stable choice for the Republican Party this cycle. Who is slated to win Ohio on Super Tuesday. Super Tuesday. He had this to say about this entire Donald Trump bullshit. Donald Trump has created a toxic environment. And a toxic environment has allowed his supporters and those who sometimes seek confrontation to come together in violence. There is no place for this. There is no place for a national leader to prey on the fears of people who live in our great country. It is important that we recognize their frustrations. It is important to recognize that there are, that there are, that there are challenges that we face, challenges of job insecurity and a lack of rising wages and a, a frustration that their children may not inherit the kind of life that they inherited from their parents. That is to be recognized. But it isn't to be used to draw people down. It isn't used to divide people. I have been talking about vision and hope and solutions. And I'm proud to say that after doing it, basically laboring in obscurity during this entire campaign, I'm pleased to see that the other candidates in the last debate began to realize that name-calling, that lowering the bar on American politics is not acceptable. And I believe they have learned, at least in the last debate, that ideas matter, that vision matters, that policies matter, and giving people hope matters. What is wrong with the 2016 modern-day Republican Party that that man's message is anathema to them. Mm-hmm. Goddamn. Well, and what he's referring to there when he said at this last debate they finally learned this, what he's referring to is this last debate, all the candidates were scolded by the Republican Party and told to behave, essentially, That's like right. like children. Reince Priebus, he, he talked to each of the candidates individually, and they came to some kind of a pact and agreement that, hey, let's stop it with the hands and the dick talk. Let's stop it with the little Marco and the lion, the lion Ted talk. And let's, let's just, let's have a substantive debate about policy, even though that didn't end up happening. The name calling did stop. There was no name calling. Yeah. So it made a difference. So we are, what, what is being talked about here? And in, in the wake of even this, even after the debate where there was a more civil tone, Chicago, a rally, a Trump rally was canceled because protesters showed up and the Trump supporters, eh, they went a little nutty 
on the punching of the faces spree and a riot didn't break out, but goddamn easily could have. At another campaign event, a gentleman from Ohio rushed, rushed the stage and was taken down by Secret Service before he got to the podium. And listen, there is a there is a tone that is being proliferated by the speech, the active words of Donald Trump. At a recent campaign event, within the last three days, he said this. And in this clip, he is talking about how his supporters start hitting the protesters, start hitting the people with the t-shirts that have a message on them, or hitting the people who are silently holding up a banner in opposition to Donald Trump. We had some people, some rough guys like we have right in here, and they started punching back. It was a beautiful thing. I mean, they started punching back. In the good old days, this doesn't happen because they used to treat them very, very rough. And when they protested once, you know, they would not do it again so easily. But today they walk in and they put their hand up and they put the wrong finger in the air at everybody and they get away with murder because we've become weak. We've become weak. In what world, Brittany Page, can I, if I'm walking down the street and someone flips me off, am I legally covered to go beat the fuck out of them? Mm-hmm. That is not the case. If someone brandishes a weapon and I hit them, that is a different story. A middle finger isn't a weapon. It's a gesture. Yeah, well, the funny thing is, is that um, this protester that rushed the stage, there's a video of it. And Donald Trump's reaction. <laughs> You're right. Donald Trump's yeah. reaction is hilarious. Um, Cowardly. He clutches the podium, terrified, turning around to look behind him, terrified. And nothing's even happening. No one is on the stage yet. No, you know, he's not in danger. The person just starts rushing the stage. The people in the audience are reacting to this person. And Donald Trump is already so anxious. And then when the Secret Service surround him, he's clutching them. He's got hold of their suits and their arms. And (laughs) now what happened to the guy? Coward. What happened to the guy who wants to punch people in the face? Now, I wouldn't be saying that his reaction is funny. If he hadn't, you know... Talked about being the most militaristic person ever. No, not even that. <laughs> right. Talking about how he would punch someone in the face. Right, right. He's talking like he's a tough guy. This isn't how a tough guy who wants to punch people in the face reacts. Right. He's, when they have an opportunity he, to possibly punch someone in the face. He's waiting. Yeah, come on stage, big boy. I'm going to punch you right in the face. Yeah, and that's not... That yeah. is not what happened. It was... It was Seriously, comically frightened. Yes. Comically frightened. So here's another clip that was took place just after what we just played of him describing why it was taking so long to get a protester ejected from his event. You know, part of the problem and part of the reason it takes so long is nobody wants to hurt each other anymore, right? And they're being politically correct the way they take them out. So it takes a little bit longer. And honestly, protesters, they realize it. They realize that there are no consequences to protesting anymore. There used to be consequences. There are none anymore. So that's it. All right, thank you very much. Thank you. Are they gone? Yeah, they're gone. Our country has to toughen up, folks. We have to toughen up. Uh, you mean these people are bringing us down remember that they're bringing us down no reason for it these people are so bad for our country you have no idea folks you have no idea they contribute nothing nothing they can get up and when they're being whisked out they can raise their bad finger up in the air and drive people which is very unfair And some people get very angry at that because you know what that represents. And then when they get a little bit overly angry, they're in trouble. The guy that raised his finger, no, that's no problem. That's no problem. 
So what is he wishing could happen? That they're shot dead? I mean, what is... I don't know. What happened in the past to protesters that he wants to happen now? He's just ambiguous enough to be able to deny responsibility for the violence that is taking place at his rallies. Mm -hmm. He's a sickening individual. I know that I have compared him to Hitler in the past. And I have said, now listen, it might not be rational to compare him to Hitler in 1945, but it's certainly rational to compare Donald Trump right now to Hitler in 1929. He's, a, he's displaying all of the different signs. The, the fascist, totalitarian type of traits. How's that for alliteration? And we have... The New York Times' very first article describing Hitler in, I believe, 1929. November 21st, 1929. And did you already say Vox dug this up? No, I did not. Okay, Thank you. Well, Vox dug this up, and they have an awesome write-up on it that we will post to the Facebook page and the Twitter page. And the article asserts that Hitler's anti-Semitism was not so violent or genuine as it sounded. This attitude was apparently widespread among Germans at the time, and many of them saw Hitler's anti-Semitism as a ploy for votes among the German masses. Does that sound familiar? There's Anybody? one paragraph in particular here that's in the article. It says, but several reliable, well-informed sources confirmed the idea that Hitler's anti-Semitism was not so genuine or violent as it sounded, and that he was merely using anti-Semitic propaganda as a bait to catch masses of followers and keep them aroused, enthusiastic, and in line for the time when his organization is perfected and sufficiently powerful to be employed effectively for political purposes. A sophisticated politician credited Hitler with peculiar political cleverness for laying emphasis and overemphasis on anti-Semitism, saying, quote, you can't expect the masses to understand or appreciate your finer real aims. You must feed the masses with cruder morsels and ideas like anti-Semitism. It would be politically all wrong to tell them the truth about where you are really leading them. Ugh. We, like Brittany said, we're going to put this on the Facebook page. I would encourage you to to really peruse the entire article and read the things that were said that are paralleling so perfectly right now the shit that's going on with Donald Trump. These same things could be said of Donald Trump. And what baffles me, and why well, it doesn't really baffle me because, you know, I love the poorly educated. He most certainly does love the poorly educated. And that is the, the benchmark of the support that he has right now. It is largely poorly educated Americans who are jumping behind in support of this message. What's weird to me is that, well, again, poorly educated, so they're not really trying to educate themselves. They're not really trying to look up the details. They're not looking for alternative sources of information. Otherwise... They would know, well, maybe they'd listen to the show, Brittany Page. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, they would know that in 1999, he said this about politicians. My entire life. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> um, I've watched politicians bragging about how poor they are, how they came from nothing, how poor their parents and grandparents were. And I said to myself, if they can stay poor for so long, for so many generations... Maybe this isn't the kind of person we want to be electing to higher office. How smart can they be? They're morons. If they can Donald be Trump. poor for this long, if they can be poor for this long, how right for the country can they be? They're morons. They're morons. Why? Because they're poor. Because their parents were poor. Because their grandparents were poor. Says Donald Trump. Says Donald Trump. In 1999, 16, 17 years ago. And I love the poorly educated. Of course he loves the poorly educated because they are coming in droves to his rallies. 
to support him, even though he thinks they're stupid. They are morons. And he's leading them around by the nose. And they're following everything he says. It's also really just a very, very hateful thing to say. Yeah, of course. From someone who is so entitled and has no idea. Like like our listener Dan says, he was born on a big, giant pile of money, and he turned that big, giant pile of money into a bigger pile of money. He, he didn't create anything. He was given. He was given everything. He's making me mad, Brittany Page. It sounds like it. <laughs> All right. Let, let's move on. I would also like to note that you sounded a little bit President Obama-ish. You didn't build that. <laughs> so just so you know. Well, he had two. He was he inherited like 100 to 200 million dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he built. He did build. He turned again a giant pile of money into a more giant pile of money. Yes, more giant. Right. He built a more giant pile of money than uh-huh. he was born on. Mm-hmm. Don't try to take my legs out, Brittany Page. Because <laughs> next time you're broken down in a goddamn intersection, you'll be there alone. I'll be left spazzing there. Spazzing out <laughs> with no one to help you. Yes, well. <laughs> All right, before we end the show, I want to talk about Ainsley Earhart, who is the new co-host of Fox and Friends on Fox News, everybody. And isn't she just perfect for the job? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she is. She's perfect. If you, perfect if you don't remember who she is. Oh, I'll get to that. Okay. Hey, don't, don't slow your roll, All right, Brittany okay, Page. Okay, okay. Trying to fucking ruin my joke here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a show on PBS called Finding Your Roots. And this is the show that is hosted by William Gates, who is a who is a Harvard professor. He's the one who got arrested and had the little beer summit at the White House. Anyway, this is a great show. And they, they what they do is they really dig deep into celebrities' pasts, into their genealogy, and find out, you know, what their roots are. Mm-hmm. Well, recently they sat down with Dustin Hoffman and they went through the process and he found out a lot about the Holocaust-related history in his past, and it really touched him. And they talked about it on Fox & Friends. Actor Dustin Hoffman breaks down as he learns his family's history. Listen to this. People ask me today, what are you? I say, I'm a Jew. They all survived for me to be here. Wow, the 78-year-old Oscar winner barely keeping it together on the PBS show Finding Your Roots. Hoffman discovering that his great-grandmother survived a Russian concentration camp before she was able to start a life in the United States. His father had always kept a family history, or that family history, a secret. And that's how he was learning about it, through the show and all the work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, fascinating and how emotional for so many yeah. families. Powerful yeah. program. Yeah. All right, yeah, Heather, thank you. Soon, thanks. We can all relate to that, though. I mean, you think about what your grandparents did to give you a better life and mm-hmm. what your parents did to give you a better life. So, pretty yeah. remarkable. It is indeed. We can all relate to that, Ainsley Earhout says. And she got a lot of shit for this. People are kind of really piling on. And Brittany pointed out, and I was one of them, by the way. I was piling on. And Brittany pointed out, would you like to share what you pointed out? Yeah, I I hate to be this person. But okay, the link that you... You you were right. And we're going to talk about why it led me. So the link that you sent me was from some website that I would never read. And the headline says, Moronic Fox host says, we can all relate to surviving concentration camps. Now, that's not what she said. What she said missed the mark a little bit. Sure. Uh, probably a little insensitive, you well, know, she, not, she, not she, being forward thinking. She didn't just, she didn't think it out very well. Right. Which is kind of part and parcel for Ainsley Earhart. Right. But she didn't say what that headline said. So first I took issue with that headline. The second thing is that she has said too much bad stuff yeah she said some bad shit to give her the benefit of the doubt and that is why that is why 
I recanted in my angsty, pissed off thing about it. But it is because of the shitty shit she said in the past. <laughs> and she said some shitty shit. Yeah. This in particular is such a favorite of mine that I, I already have the audio always queued up. What about country. the majority? Okay, the so majority. tired of protecting the minority. What about the majority? I'm so tired of protecting the minority. And she says it with a shitty, terrible, angry tone. Just what about country. the majority? Okay, the I'm majority. So tired of protecting the minority. And that is why she's perfect for Fox. Yeah, and, and that is why, <laughs> as soon as she said that, Fox News was like, oh, well, we got to, as soon as we get rid of that Hasselback, that already crazy fundy, Ainsley Earhart, she's, uh, she's on deck for that job because she's just hateful enough. She's just bitter and radically conservative enough to not care about the minority and protecting the minority in this country. Ugh. It's too much work for her. she can't handle it anymore she can't do it on her own you guys not good anyway i thought that would brighten your day everybody a little ainsley Earhart to uh to send you on your way into the week on this monday we're gonna end the show there again if you are in ohio or florida or illinois or missouri or north carolina Please go out and vote. Make your decision whether you're going to vote. If you're in an open primary state, whether you're going to vote in the Democrat or Republican primary, it is very important. Every year, every election, it is said this is the most important election of all time. Obviously, that's not the case all the time. This might be the year. Do your part. Don't come up with an excuse because it's inconvenient or whatever else. It is vitally, critically important. Even if you've never voted before, this is your year. This is it. Thank you for joining us. If you have something to add, 657-464-7609. Of course, email us a voice memo from your smartphone. If you'd really like to do us a favor, why don't you saunter over? To iTunes and leave us a review or just a rating. A profanity-free review. Profanity-free review. As hard as that will be for our audience, we would very much, very much appreciate it. We love you guys. We appreciate you guys. You mean the world to us. If you would like to support the show other than listening twice a week, you can go to dollamore.com. And on the left-hand side of this page, you can click on support the show There you will find a bevy, Brittany Page, a bevy of ways to support the show other than listening. Until next time, when we see you on episode 202, I am Jesse Dollimore. That is Brittany Page. And this has been I Doubt. How important, Brittany, is it to cock block Donald Trump? It is tremendously important.